This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me this evening is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, night one, prime time of the Combine is in the books. The quarterbacks, the wide receivers, and the tight ends just finished up their workouts for the evening. How are you doing, my friend? Paul, I feel like it was like a marathon. I mean, to be very, it was, it was actually honestly a marathon because it went from early this afternoon till into this evening. I, I listen. It was, it was, it was what it was for many years. I will say this with with all the hoopla that was really surrounding the changes and how it was going to be more competitive, and you know the the massive kind of. You know, Jeff Foster, I think, driven kind of conglomerate of people meeting and talking and discussing what will be done and what will we change to make it more this. It was the same thing. It was the same thing. I don't know about you, but I really outside of, uh, you know, like you were saying earlier when we were talking off air outside of the sled drill with the tight ends, I, I really didn't get any type of sense of change. No, I, I really didn't either. It was the same things again. I still think the coverage has r- lots of rooms for improvement. And it would really be nice if they, like we say about everything, the senior bowl and everything, if they just had a non-commercial feed on their internet on the stream, you know, show me, uh, show me the guys, you know, and, the, you know, have like four or five different camera setups. I think they had that like years ago where if you wanted to just watch like the, you know, the broad jump or the vertical jump, they had a camera on that and you can kind of like go through them on the computer. I think those things would be interesting. They still go to commercial breaks and miss a lot of the 40s, which people are excited to see. There, there's so much about it that I, I, I struggle understanding why they still have such a difficult time, you know, putting them together what I think would be a better package. Let's be honest, casual football fans. And I know they moved this tonight because they thought they were going to get casual fans. They're not getting casual fans. They are not getting the casual fantasy football, the casual gambler, the casual better. They're not watching the combine. The elite guys don't even participate in the combine. The, you know, Joe Burrow's of the world, you know, Burrow and Chase Young and those guys aren't even going to do anything to obviously the medical. So he's not. This is for the hardcore draft Knicks. That is who's watching the combine. And they want to see as much stuff as possible. They want to see as much as much of the athletic and the testing drills. They want immediate uh, results in the 40s. And I still think there's a, a lot of room for improvement in terms of putting it together. And like you said, I didn't really feel it was anything different. You know, I actually think there was less talk on the, the Twitter sphere than there is sometimes during the day. I think people just, you know, late in the evening here, maybe people are busy with real lives and stuff. I think in terms of the hardcore draft people, I actually thought it was a little quiet on the Twitter on the Twitterverse, basically, you know, in terms of what it usually is, you know, in terms of the combine. And maybe it changes a little bit on Friday and Saturday, but I always thought the the days, you know, during the day in the combine always had a lot more people talking about everything. You know, so I don't really think it's a, a big success. I'm sure the ratings were higher just because more people are home and not at work. But I didn't really see like, oh, this was such a 
massive improvement. I saw much of the same. And, and really, to be honest with you, I, I besides a few things, like it was basically no different than we, what we were accustomed to. So I don't even think it's worth talking anymore about the changes of the combine. Let's just dig right in. You know, we'll just go in the position in terms of the orders that they did. The tight ends were the first, you know, to run the 40s and then do their on-field drills. And there was a couple things that stood out for me. So let me run down a couple of things in terms of guys that stood out or, or disappointed a little bit. And then you can kind of piggyback on any of them or bring up anybody else. I thought a couple big winners. I thought three guys, four guys actually were big winners. I thought Cole Komet, I thought he looked really good in the on-field drills in terms of just smoothness. For a guy 262, he carries 262 tremendously. You know, 262, you know, it's tough sometimes to see what what these guys look like under their pads and stuff, but he he looks like he's he looks like he's like 245, not 262. He ran better than I think anybody expected. You know, so I thought, you know, I think his official was let me just check. I think his official was seven. Four, four seven. seven. So yep. his official was four seven. His jumps were really good. Ten three on the broad, thirty-seven inch vertical. I mean, those are outstanding for a guy two sixty-two. So I think he was a big winner. I think Albert Oku uh, I'm messing it up. Albert O. I, I o- had it on Okuwebenam. the last one. Okuwebenam, uh 4.49 on the 40. I mean, this is a guy that in 2018, people were raving about him, thinking he was one of the top tight end prospects in the country. He goes back to school. He has a really subpar 2019 year. Part of it's team-oriented. He just, to me, looked a little bit more cumbersome when I watched 2019 film. But you you kind of held, held steady on him and said you still were excited about him. And I think most people kind of pushed him off of their top fives and maybe in the, in the next wave of guys. Uh, but Albert O really impressed today with that uh, that 40 time. He was another guy who was a big winner. I thought Adam Troutman, while his 40, you know, wasn't like blazing or anything, uh, Troutman ran a 40-yard dash of 4.8, but his, his jumps and his uh, – Shuttle and his three cone were really, really good for, for a man his size. Uh, so I think overall he checked boxes today in terms of overall being a winner. And then a couple under the radar guys, I thought, uh, Dalton Keene tested out really well. So he's an intriguing guy that, you know, we haven't talked much about here at Saturday to Sunday. I'm interested to watch some, some film more on him. He's from Virginia Tech. He could be an H back. Uh, but he tested out really well. So athletically, this was a good day for Dalton Keene. And then on the, on the flip side, I didn't think Harrison Bryant really tested out well at all compared to what I thought he was going to test out. So just about across the board from the, from the 40 to the jumps to the change of direction drills, he did not test out nearly as good. So that, that, that kind of piqued my interest a little bit. And then Hunter Bryant, I think people thought he was going to run faster and test out a little bit better. There was a lot of Evan Ingram comps being thrown around. I never saw the Evan Ingram comps because Evan Ingram was a freak. I go and and at a much bigger size. I think Hunter Bryan is more Jordan Reed, more Trey Burden than he is Evan Ingram. And I think that kind of tested itself out in terms of athletically speaking at the combine today. So those are a couple of the, the winners and, and and guys who I thought, you know, kind of let down a little bit compared to maybe what people were expecting and what I was expecting. Yeah, no, I, I think the guys that you kind of kind of curated there in terms of the actual performances are pretty spot on. I think I, I think Cole Komet, you know, he, listen, he continues to be a player that, um, for several years, you know, we've talked about on the show as being 
you know, just a really intriguing talent. This is a guy who did play multiple sports. And, you know, now that he's chosen football as his kind of calling, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talent and focus and intentionality that'll be directed, you know, football's way. And, you know, at, at, like you said, you know, when you look at just his measurables, when you talk about just like what he is in terms of, you know, being physical, uh, his size, his length, just his overall skill set as a player, you know, he's, he is a legit, like, you know, combo tight end prospect. And I think we said it together. I think when we were talking about uh, the tight end show, we were talking about guys that we thought, you know, we would invest in. And Cole Komen is one of those guys that we said we would invest in, you know, because it is a really tight grouping. And, you know, I think that he tested out in a way that, you know, people are going to be, you know, happy with. I mean, I, again, I, I try to, I try to, I try to make sure I'm, I'm bringing kind of a measured discussion to this because nothing that I think I saw necessarily tonight really kind of, you know, drives me away from what I think I saw on film. I, I still think that he has room to grow. I feel, th- I still think there's another gear in his game. Um, if you're going to use the argument that, you know, any of these, you know, I guess, um, tests are indicative of their physical capacities then you can say that there's certainly room for him to grow, so to speak, in terms of his offensive capabilities, because he has just so much potential in terms of that strength and that ability to apply that strength, you know, on the field. But again, it's great to have all these physical capacities, but again, it's when and where you do it that matters most. And I think that's where he really has a lot of room to grow. So I think, should you be excited about Cole Komet? Yeah, I think you should have been excited already. Should you be, you know, jumping through the roof now um, after his testing? I, I, I think you should. I think you should go back to the film, and I think you should go back and and see um, whether or not you think that the testing is indicative of ceiling, or is it indicative of somebody who trained really hard for the combine and performed really well? I tend to think that you know, the combine, like it's, like I said, I tend to think his film itself was enough to get me excited. So this really didn't add too much more to the pot except give me give me a little bit of popcorn to watch while I was uh, chilling out this evening. So listen, Cole Komet, I, tip of the cap to you, man. You made some money tonight. I hope you get go as high as you possibly can so you can set yourself up for the rest of your life, you and your family and loved ones. You really did a great job tonight, my friend. And obviously to all the other uh, tight ends out there, you know, Hunter, you know, like you said, Harrison Bryant, what are we supposed to think of Harrison Bryant? I, I think you take the same approach. What were you supposed to think last year of Dalvin Cook when it didn't go to down? You know, it didn't work for Dalvin Cook. And that didn't change how he performed in the NFL. I, I still feel confident in Harrison Bryant. Um, I, I do think that this tight end class was not overall very strong. We talked about that at length. So I, I think overall, not too surprised by the way this group kind of played out. And Albert, you know, Okawebenam, I think you got to be excited about it, man. He's a natural catcher of the football. I understand that his offensive game was down last year, but I mean, in terms of athleticism overall, he is the freak of this group. And I know he didn't do some of the testing and that's fine with me, but in a straight line, being able to, being able to threaten the seam, I think he's got plenty of speed to threaten the seam and some. And I think again, it goes down to the Cole Komet discussion when and where you do it is really the most important thing. And I think he has tremendous room to grow as well. But I would invest in Harrison Bryan, Al, you know, Albert Ogwebenam, as well as Cole Komet. Those would be the guys that I feel pretty confident about going out and getting if I were in uh, a rookie draft or a dynasty football draft. 
Yeah. And I mean, listen, I understand there's different levels of the importance in terms of the combine, but we do know the NFL looks at, at outliers and looks at guys who are at, athletically not at least in the average, and it pushes them down the board. And that gives them less draft capital and less opportunity. Yep. We saw it with Isaac Nauta last year. We saw it with Caden Smith. Now, Caden Smith overcame it, ended up on the Giants, you know, and got an opportunity to play. And maybe Isaac Nauta does, but maybe he doesn't because of where is draft capital. Caden Smith had an opportunity because of Evan Ingram's injury, or who knows if he ever gets on the football field. You know, we don't know if Isaac Nauta ever is. He, he's buried on the depth chart in, in uh, Detroit. You know, they drafted Hawkinson, you know, so Cole Komet, there was some worries when he came in at 262 that maybe, you know, he was a little bit that his athletic testing was going to be a little bit, you know, more because no one ever thought Kane Smith and Isaac Nauta were going to run as slow as they did last year and test out as poor athletically. So I do think it is important in that regards that it maintains his draft capital as a potential second or third round pick. And I think that solidified it because you could easily say on the flip side, if there was anybody who thought Jared Pinckney was going to be a second or third round pick, that's gone. That's gone after he runs a 5.0 or a 5.01, or I think his, his official was somewhere between a 4.95 and a 5.01. And that's coming off a poor senior bowl when all the reports report. There is no way in today's NFL, with they're looking for mismatches at the tight end, that, that a team is going to draft Jared Pinckney in the round two or round three after his testing today. So he's another guy that should have been on the LCOM. Right or wrong, I don't, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I do know that in, in the league now where the top tight ends in terms of producing are usually athletic freaks at times, they're not going to invest in an outlier like that and think that he's going to be the outlier. It doesn't mean Jared Pinckney is doomed to fail his whole career, we saw Caden Smith last year get an opportunity, even with a poor testing. But the the opportunity is is much harder to come by, and I think that's one thing that that does hold some weight in this when guys are really far in one direction and don't at least check the boxes, you know. And then I, one other guy I should have mentioned. I mentioned I mentioned Pinkney as a loser. Uh, the the kid from Cincinnati, I think, is a guy who's going to start intriguing people. Josiah Degara, he 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 kind of really tested out well across the board. Four seven two forty, uh, good vertical jump, good broad jump, good in the change of direction stuff. So he's an interesting name. So while some guys may have you know hurt their stock a little bit, I I wonder if Degara is a guy who maybe elevated his stock a little bit. And then going back to Albert O for a second, just to put it in the perspective, that straight line speed, Jalen Rager was 4.47 and Albert Oku, um, Albert O was 4.49. Like that's pretty remarkable when you're just, when you're, when you're thinking well, about that. Well, well, I mean, and, and not to, and not to like, and again, I, I really hate to like keep saying this because we keep talking about it all the time, but like, that's why when people are very quick to compare people to, um, you know, like, you know, Evan Ingram, you know, the only guy that has a right to even be compared to Evan Ingram is Albert Oguebenam or a, a wide receiver who we'll probably likely talk about in just a moment, who's probably as big as he was, um, you know, coming into this. Um, dude, Evan Ingram had a remarkable, remarkable 40 time at 442. I mean, that was just, that was just bonkers. That was just bonkers. So I mean, it it goes back to the fact that, like you said before, I I am 
do I think this should matter? No, I don't think it should matter. Do I think it does matter to some and most? Yeah, fair or unfair, reasonable or unreasonable, it seems to matter because at the end of the day, Paul, here's what I care about from a skill development, movement science, skill acquisition perspective. I care about opportunity. The guys who will develop are the guys who get the opportunity. And if this plays a part in that equation, relevant, real, fair or unfair, it's not for me to judge at this point. I've already made my statement. I don't think it should count. But it is being used to, in some small way to either you know insulate or potentially impact draft stock. And we've seen too many correlations between the testing and the draft capital suddenly taking downturns and side turns, it would seem at least to not ignore, you know, to ignore it. So from my perspective, I'm hoping this gives Cole Komet, a guy who needs development time, who can develop into something more. I'm hoping this gives him the draft stock he needs to achieve that dream. I'm hoping it gives Albert Oguebenam the, the time, the opportunity to develop so he can reach that dream. So that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for fair or unfair. I'm hoping that this helps those guys begin to achieve what they wanted to achieve. Yeah, and I think I think I do think NFL teams use it though, like to cross some guys out as outliers or at least put them down further down. And I think they use it as tiebreakers. Like, you know, Okuwebanam, if, if a team was trying to decide between Okuwebanam or Harrison Bryant, let's say in round three, Harrison Bryant Small, small conference, you know, lower level program, Okuwebanam, the SEC. Then, you know, you look at their production and say, okay, maybe Harrison Bryan was a little bit better on film. But then when you start to take into account, like, well, look at the level opponents that he was going up against. Very, very, very few NFL caliber defensive players. While Okuwebanam was playing against the best of the best in the SEC. Then you get to the combine and you expect one thing from Brian and, you know, and, and he kind of disappoints in all of that. And he's coming from the lower level program where he didn't go up against the best athletes. I could see a scenario where maybe they had them pretty close on their boards. I'm not saying if you thought Harrison Bryan was round two and Okawebanam was round five that you should flip flop them. I think that's a little egregious. But I could see why an NFL team would say, okay, Harrison Bryan, we had as a round three guy. You know, Okawebanam, we had as a round three, round four guy. But it was close. They were within 15 spots or so on our big board. This might make us adjust that tight end board a little bit. You know, overall board. Well, you know, maybe they were, and- maybe they were only one or two apart on their tight end board, you know, on their vertical tight end board. And I could see this doing that. Like we always said, tiebreakers and outliers. Like that's really what I think this the combine should be used for, close close tiebreakers to to move guys maybe up and down a little bit and look for outliers one way or the other. Well, listen, not not to not to kind of push forward, but I also wanted to just say one more thing before we move forward is that you know this makes me as a kind of player problem solver paradigm perspective, this would make me really begin to ask myself as an organization. What do I have the ability to develop more of? So let's say you think Albert Ogwemenam brings an athletic component to the equation that Harrison Bryant doesn't, and you know that in your organization, maybe strength and development is not part of what you do very well, but you know technical and tactical skill 
and the development of those things from a coaching, from a developmental perspective with your particular staff that you can excel in, then maybe you do take a player like Okawebanam and you say, you know what, Harrison Bryant, you know, I, I think that you are technically and tactically more savvy, let's say, than currently Albert is, but I believe that our organization has the tools to develop him in the areas that he needs to be developed to become a better problem solver. So when we talk about the problem solver paradigm, not to keep throwing it out there, but to to put a point on it, it's a framework that exceeds just the player. It comes to an organizational level, a level of total team assessment in terms of what the player can do, but also what you can develop as a staff as an organization and where and where and how those players will complement other players that you already own. So I think that's where those tiebreakers really come into play. And we may reduce it down to, let's say the combine, but maybe the player that, that goes to that particular team, maybe the player that the team that takes Albert O is saying, no, 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 no. We have the complementary players on the team to make up for his shortcomings right now, but we have the comp, we have the coaching staff to build and develop where he could go in terms of blocking and technique as a route runner. We think we have a canvas with him to make him a better player. Whereas Harrison Bryant, we think that we can help him, but we'd rather, we'd rather use the strengths of our organization to develop a potentially better player. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that's spot on that you brought that up. And I love that you brought that last point up in in, tone, in terms of each organization looks at it differently in terms of what they have, what, what they could coach up. Because I do think in some ways, it's, like what if you're looking for a tight end that could attack the seam and get vertical? Well, then maybe Okawebanam showed just by having that in his toolbox that he can run a 44940. And, and you put him in a position where you want your tight end to do that. You built your offense around needing a tight end to be able to attack. Well, because you got Jeremy Sprinkle. Maybe you got Jeremy Sprinkle already. Yeah. Like he's, he's solid all around. He's a good number two. But you just don't have anybody that's going to constantly threaten the seam. So Washington comes back in the third round and says, you know what, Jordan Reed, thanks so much. I'm good, good luck. You know, it's not going to work long term. Let's keep Jeremy Sprinkle. Let's go get Albert Ogawebenam and let's team those guys up and let's, let's go to town. Yeah, I, so so I think there's there's little there's little things there's glimpse there's things that I think if you if you dig deep and and listen we just went on a pretty deep conversation here and I think as as much as as much as we don't we try hard not to put too much emphasis on it we'd be naive if we don't realize that the NFL does put some emphasis on it and they do use it in some capacity some capacity. And again, it might just be like we were talking about here, tiebreakers, outliers, you know, pushing guys up and down the board draft capital. And then we know that means how much leash and opportunity they get. So I do think it's kind of fascinating. So if we take this to the quarterbacks and I don't have much here. So this is what I start from the quarterback position. Cause I don't think there's a lot that you could really glean from, from the combine workouts. I thought the, the three main guys who actually participated, uh, I thought Justin Herbert really threw the ball well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought he, you know, and I thought he tested out really well. And we we are in the world of today's NFL that teams want their quarterback to be able to navigate the pocket, move around inside and outside the pocket, to buy some time, extend plays, you know, potentially, you know, do some RPO stuff, run if they need to, pick up a first down, keep the chains moving. I thought Herbert tested out really well in all the athletic testing drills. And then I thought he threw the ball well in, in, in the drills as much as you can look at them and, you know, 
listen, he's one of the better throwers in the class. So I don't think it's surprising that he looked good in that, you know, and the same thing can be said about Jordan Love. You know, he checked off the boxes, showing that athleticism, yeah. showing that ability. And and I just think the ball f- flies out of Jordan. Oh, it look, didn't look great, though. I mean, listen, like for whatever it's worth, I know this is like all speculation, but man, didn't look great, though. Like coming it, out of his hand tonight, didn't really look great. It did just like it great. did on film. Just like it does in film. It really looks good. And for all the people, like, listen, in terms of the quarterbacks, and we mentioned this on the Combine Preview Show, the quarterbacks, I think it, it's less of what you actually see on the field usually. It's more of what you hear from the people who are down there and the people who have the inside sources. And it was multiple people today from Lewis Riddick to Charles Robinson and to Daniel Jeremiah. I'm sorry, not Daniel Jeremiah, Ian Rappaport. Rappaport. Charles Robinson and Lewis Riddick at all at some point in the last 20 hours or so all said the buzz in Indianapolis is about Jordan Love being a top 10 or top 12 pick in the first round. So you're hearing that from multiple sources, you know, so that's the thing that, you know, some people want to look at it, but this is the, this is very similar to the Josh Allen thing all over again. NFL teams are going to buy, look past the statistics that are poor. They're going to look at that. He had, you know, a lack of supporting cast around them and they're going to draft them based on the traits. And they're going to hope that they can, you know, teach him up and, and get him ready because he's got raw physical traits that are really unique and interesting. And the ball did just fly out of his hand tonight. So I was impressed with that. And then Jalen hurts tested out even better athletically than I thought he would in terms of all the athletic testing. And to be honest with you, he threw the ball with better accuracy than I thought because I didn't think this was really going to be an environment for him to shine. I thought he would struggle in some of the passing drills because he's just not a natural thrower at a football. And I thought we would see some of his inaccuracy issues. He threw the ball pretty well tonight. I think Jalen Hurts helped himself tonight to potentially, again, if a team is willing to be creative, maybe invest a third round pick on him and kind of see what they can do with him. So I thought it was a pretty good day for Jalen Hurts. And I thought this maybe again, similar to the senior bowl, would have not been an environment for him to be deemed the winner. But I think he came out of this pretty well. So those are the three things that I, I made note of from the quarterback position. Matt, any thoughts on the quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really have nothing more to add other than I think that, you know, like we said previously, I, I think Jordan Love looked great. I think the ball came out of his hand. I thought I thought also Shea Patterson threw the ball nicely as well. I mean, he looked good in what he was doing. So that was something interesting for me. Um, but again, I mean, like, you know, <laughs> like you said, I, I think with the quarterback position, I think most out of any position, I think a lot of those guys, their draft stock, draft capital, everything is tied to the interviews, the things that are off the field right now. You know, what's being asked behind closed doors, medicals. I do think that, you know, the testing um, as you said, um, may play a role now as people want to move towards a mobile quarterback. Um, but I think out of all the positions, a lot of these guys are slotted already. And I think the interviews are really the things that we'll never know the answers to per se, but those are the things that are probably swaying that position most of all. Absolutely. So let's finish this out with uh, some quick thoughts on the wide receiver position. I mean, I thought there were three guy, four guys that really stood out and and kind of said surprising results that send you back to the film a little bit and pique your interest that maybe there's a little bit more in their in their arsenal than maybe we even thought from what they were asked to do at the college level. 
And for me, those guys were a Chase Claypool. I mean, there was rumblings in the last 24 to 48 hours about him playing tight end, which we joked a little bit as, well, if he was a tight end, they would just say he's a big wide receiver. So I didn't really understand that anyway. But he comes out here and he runs a 4-4-2 at 239 or 238 pounds. He jumps a 40.5 inches and then a 10-6 broad jump. I mean, those are, you know, we were we were blown away by Miles Boykin last year. Chase Claypool basically said, wait a minute, he's not the only Notre Dame guy that, that's going to blow up the combine. And, and, and Claypool, you know, showed that his skill set, you know, maybe Notre Dame, maybe Ian Book, this is now two years in a row. Maybe it was just the Notre Dame offense and the quarterback and the scheme that they run that they weren't taking full advantage of how much these guys had vertical speed to win. And maybe that's part of it. And in a setting like this, I mean, a guy at his size, the only guy ever to run a time like that at a wide receiver is is Megatron, Calvin Johnson. I mean, just put in the perspective, a guy his size running that fast and then combine the jumps with it. So he was a big winner for me. Justin Jefferson, you know, I thought Justin Jefferson was locked in as pretty much an exclusive slot guy at the next level because I thought he only had probably mediocre speed because in that LSU offense, he wasn't really asked to win vertically that much because they had, you know, they had Jamar Chase. They had a lot of other guys that could win vertically and mostly Jefferson won underneath. But he goes out and runs a 4-4-3 good Good jumps as well. I think that I think that kind of adds a little bit extra to his overall package that he has that in his arsenal. I still think he's best from the slot, but I do think this might mitigate some concerns that he can that he can't play outside and he can't get vertical. I think this at least opens the possibility that maybe it was something that LSU just didn't need him to do with their other arsenal of wide receivers this year. So I thought that was an impressive for him. Uh Denzel Mims at his size running a four three eight. He is riding the wave of the pre-draft process here as much as anyone. This is the dream pre-draft process. Go to the senior bowl, dominate one-on-ones, and then keep it going with this kind of performance at the, the combine. I think stock very much up on Denzel Mims. You know, Mims and Claypool, I think, are locked in now to round two. I wouldn't even be stunned to hear some late round one buzz, but it's such a deep class. I'm not going to go there yet. Jefferson now, I think, is very much in the one-two mix. Uh, those are probably the three guys that I would say help themselves the most. I would also say Donovan Peoples-Jones, out of sight, out of mind kind of over the last couple of years, but we knew he had some elite-level athleticism in him. From He was a big-time five-star recruit. He lived up to that today. I think it was the third-highest vertical jump of all time. You know, a great broad jump, a 4-4-7-40. So I think Peoples-Jones helped himself out. If you have a mediocre statistical career, you need to you need to, you need need to to really show off athletically, I think, at the combine to help people – kind of forget about some of your, you know, issues in, in terms of statistically. And I don't think the NFL was that down on him because I think they look past the statistics and stuff. But in terms of the general consensus, I think Donovan Peoples-Jones needed this to kind of remind people what type of talent level he was talking with. So those are the four guys that I thought impressed me the most. I mean, but there's a lot of other guys that I could say, Michael Pittman Jr. for his size, check the box running four five two. You know, C.D. Lamb, checked the speed box that he had enough speed running a four five one. Some people were worried about that. Devin Duvernay, a 4-4 flat. Like, 
he needed to do that to show that he had that in his arsenal and could be that DJ Moore style player. Antonio Gibson, you know, sub four four. That's big for him because he's gonna be have to be utilized a little like Debo Samuel early on in terms of jet sweeps and end the rounds and screen passes, get him the ball in space. So those were the guys that I thought impressed me. Thoughts on any of those, Matt, or anybody else that really wowed you? No, I, I mean, I, I think you hit on all those guys. I mean, I would add a couple of guys that are sleeper guys to just continue to keep your eye on, too. I mean, I think Courtney Davis at a four five four that was interesting. I mean, you know, I think he's going to be more of a technician. He is more of that kind of sensitive, more tuned route runner, that guy that understands what's happening in front of him. His play speed is really where he wins. Um, also, another guy that kind of maybe check some boxes for some teams or at least catapulted him into consideration for being maybe a late round pick or a player to continue to kind of watch and maybe study more film on in Marquez Callaway, who I really liked out of Tennessee. Um, there, that's another player that I really thought, um, could have a potential, uh, kind of, uh, world where he could work in the NFL. Um, I, I think that, you know, I, I think, you know, obviously Tyree Cleveland, I think is going to continue to push teams to, to maybe go back to the film, assess what they think of him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree with all the winners. I, I think of that group, I think the, 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 the surprise out of that entire group was, I don't really think I saw Chase Claypool as a four four two. That was more of a surprise to me because, you know, when I watched him on film, I'm not saying I looked at him and I thought, wow, you know, he's slow or anything, but I thought he was like a four or five guy. I was thinking more of that four five one, four five two. You know, I wasn't seeing uh four four two. You know, but that being said though, for for now the past two years, he's been a guy that we keep going back to as being tremendously skillful on the field because again, it's not what he can do, it's when he uses it and how he uses it that matters most. It's when, how, not what he's actually doing from an aesthetics point of view, but rather when he decides to do what he does on the field. That's what makes him so interesting. Yeah, Justin Jefferson, you know, listen, I, I think Justin Jefferson is a, is a very, you know, skilled wide receiver, you know, but there are guys that I mean, listen, I, I feel terrible for, for what happened to Brian Edwards. You know, I wish him the best. I would have loved to have seen him here. You know, obviously T Higgins, I would have liked to have seen him do things, you know, so there are players here that didn't get a chance. I didn't get a chance to really see the way I wanted to a uh, LaVisca Chenault. There's a lot of speculation was, was that really him or was he injured? Um, you know, what was the room? Why is it that, you know, he performed, you know, so poorly, I wish I would have gotten a chance to see KJ Hamler, you know, do things. So there's players that I, I really didn't get a chance to really see, but you know, of the guys that we had talked about, um, you know, over the last, you know, year and few years, almost all of them kind of fit into that kind of portion of the class where we had them in the tiers where we're like, these guys are players. These are players. And I don't think there was really one person um, who really was that shocking overall. I think there are players it was nice to see um, them perform on a big stage and hopefully it drives teams back to, you know, the film. So that way you get a chance to see really how skilled some of these guys are. But overall, Paul, you know, it was popcorn, man. I mean, like I said, it's, it's just great watching these guys and something to consider. And I was telling you this off the air, you know, if you want more of a reason to, to not hate the kind mind, but if you want more of a reason to kind of, kind of take a measured approach to what you're seeing, again, they were talking on air constantly, Steve Smith and Michael Irving and Kurt Warner 
And Steve was kind of talking about this idea that, you know, they're constantly coaching them during these on the field drills, you know, run 80% of what you normally run. So that way, you know, the timing between you and the quarterback can be a little bit more uh, predictable so they can get you the pass, run 80% of what you normally do. And then, you know, kind of stay inside the cone, make sure that they're, make sure that you're running this way and don't run that way. I mean, when you think about the, the amount of instruction that's being given to these guys, you couldn't divorce yourself more from an actual game situation if you tried. So, I mean, if the NFL is listening and, and, and if they hear us at all, you know, I, I, I would really, really want some type of, some type of drill or some type of modification to these things where we get a chance to see something a little bit more representative than what we're seeing during everything that we're doing at the combine weekend. I, I think the players would enjoy it. I, I think the players would feel like more natural in, in coordinating their movements. I think you might get a more authentic, more uh, potentially more uh, real version of what they're capable of doing. You know, start the 40 in a two-point stance. Let the wide receivers run as if they're a line of scrimmage. Let running backs take a handoff. Let uh, let court, let uh, offensive linemen be in a three-point stance. Like, let the tight ends work from either a two-point or a three-point stance with their 40. Decide what you want to do with them. But let these guys do a little bit more representative stuff. That would be my only thing moving forward. And I know they're not going to do it, but I, I would wish for it. Yeah, I think that I think it would make some sense. I, I always come back to they're such sticklers for having historical evidence that they want to compare it to. And I think that's the reluctance to do the major changes. You know, but again, just to kind of put a bow on these wide receivers, you know, we didn't even bring up some really big names like Jerry Judy and and and, and uh Rager. Uh Rager had two fantastic jumps. His 40 time only came in at 447 and, and it's like, oh wow, only. But I guess there was a lot of buzz that he was maybe gonna be sub four four. Uh Listen, he still reminds me of Brandon Cooks on the field. I think he's explosive. You know, Jerry Judy checked, you know, if anyone thought his speed was uh, even remotely an issue, he checked the box with a 4.45. So I think, you know, he did what he needed to do. I mean, Henry Ruggs, 4.28. Yeah, he didn't break the all-time record, but 4.28 is absolutely flying. I'm glad you brought up Chenault. He's a guy that, you know, listen, if you had the top of the wide receiver board kind of a little jumbled together and you're sitting here trying to sort out you know, some of these guys and, and then Chenault runs that. And, you know, you don't, you know, listen, Chenault's got some questions about his game. He's got some route refinement. He's got some route tree development to do. And then he doesn't really test out as a good athlete. And his, his game right now is predicated on athleticism. And I still think on the football field, he's athletic, but I do think in such a close knit group of wide receivers with so many good options that it could hurt his value. Maybe he doesn't go round one anymore. Maybe he's now pushed himself into the early to mid part of round two. I don't think it's off the table for, for a guy like Chenault in this draft class. You know, KJ Hill, a, a guy that I've been a big fan of. I think I thought he was going to test out better. I really did. He, you know, he, I, he, I knew he was always a quicker than fast guy. I just didn't think a four six was really in the, in the calling for him. I thought he was going to be a little bit better than that. So I was a little bit surprised by those results. And then Brandon Ayuka, I want to talk about for one second because it seemed like there was a little bit of, you know, mixed feelings on Brandon Ayuk because he, he ran a four five. And I think people, you know, myself included was expecting maybe a four, four, five. Okay. So. You know, he was a little bit slower than I think maybe some people thought, but his jumps were great. 
his game is he's not a true vertical burner to where that's where he, he only wins. He wins at all three levels of the field. He's a guy who's great run after the catch ability. Use him in space. He's still crafting and honing his route running skill. He's not just a take a deep type guy. And I never saw him and thought four four speed. I always thought he was going to be in that mid four four. So four four five type. So he was a little bit slower. But I mean, let's not act like running a four five for him is is her is bad and then Rager were okay with a four four seven. I I don't think this changes Brandon Ayuk's draft stock at all. He 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 showed that he has great length earlier in the week when with the measurements he had the explosive jumps. I, we haven't gotten the change of direction change of direction drills yet for the wide receivers, but I'd be very surprised if Brandon Ayuk's are not uh, are not really really good. I expect him to be one of the better ones at the twenty the 20 yard shuttle, the three cone. So I still thought this was a good, good performance by Brandon Ayuk. And some people kind of just really focused in only on that four or five. And, and they thought he had to run much faster than that to still be considered a first or early second round pick. And, and I don't think so. I think four or five, while I wanted a little bit better, I don't think that's outrageously bad or anything that takes him off the radar in terms of where I think his draft stock and draft capital was going. So and again, and again, I keep, I keep saying, take a measured approach, right? Like everybody who's listening to this out there, you know, when did he do it on film? When does he use that speed? When does he use that athletic ability? How does he use it? How does he do it? Like th- it's more important to ask yourself, who are they as problem solvers? Who are they? What's their fingerprint as an athlete, as a wide receiver? Let them, let that film tell you that story about who those players are, because who they are as players is who's going to show up on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. So guys, hopefully you enjoyed this. We even went a little bit longer on this than I think we expected to. But, you know, the quarterbacks, the tight ends, the wide receivers, a lot of skilled players in our breadbasket here in terms of thoughts that we... It's like we three quarters of everybody that we talk about. Yeah, so I mean, there, there was a lot of guys, you know, I, I kind of expect the the remaining uh, instant reaction combine chose to to be, you know, half this time. We're in that 20 to 25-minute range. This one was pushing a little bit closer to 40 minutes. But hopefully you enjoyed it, something that you can listen to and, and hear our immediate reactions uh, right after uh, the first night of the combine finishing up. You know, I'll be back tomorrow and the next two days live tweeting throughout the combine. So catch me up on Twitter, ask me questions, sharing my thoughts on every single player that runs the 40 and guys that don't run the 40 as well talking about the on-field drills as well and then doing these uh instant reaction podcasts as well so matt anyway wait, wait, i gotta ask you one thing like, before we leave who give me one person that you think you're definitely probably moving positive or negative do you have one guy i i think it has to be Chase Claypool is going to move. He's not jumping a tier, but he's going to move in what I had a very, very large tier two at the wide receiver position. Him and Denzel Mims are going to move up a little bit. And I do think I, I was already when we did our wide receiver tier buster show said that LaVisca Chenault was like dangling between my tier one and tier two. And I put him on tier one, but I said he very much maybe deserves to be in tier two. I think he's going to go into, he's going to, I'm going to, since he was straddling that line right now with with what I saw today in terms of the poor athletic results, I'll probably put him down in the tier two. I'm not talking about jumping dramatically down, but I'll move him off of my tier one and into tier two. And inside my tier two, I'll move up Chase Claypool a little bit higher than I had in my tier two. Yeah. And I, and I think that a fairer question would have been who you getting driven back to the film for. I agree. 
those are the guys. And I would also add in there from a um, from a performance standpoint, some of the tight ends. Some of the tight ends, I just want to go back and now see some of those guys again. Specifically, um, you know, I obviously, you know, Cole Komet, we all know about. Um, but I'd like to go back and take a look at some of those other tight ends as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, the biggest guy for me that I think I, I want to go back and continue to watch the film for uh, is going to be Henry Ruggs, believe it or not. Um, I like Henry Ruggs. I think he's okay. Um, I know a lot of people think way more than that. Um, but I, I'd like to see if where I feel like I have him is right because, I mean, it's just, I mean, a 427, 428, it's a nice, it's a nice number. And um, I definitely would like to go back and, and take a look at him because right now I don't think he's, I think he's at the bottom end of my uh, top 10. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a guy that probably would be, you know, I could see myself flip-flopping Chenault in him because they were really close in my rankings to begin with. So it's hard not to think to myself, Chenault is not a very refined player. Ruggs has refinement to do. So if there's this, re- if they both have refinement to do in terms of route running and route concepts and route tree, it seems kind of silly to have the guy who runs a four two eight and has that calling card immediately when he steps onto the football field. It seems a little silly to have him below Chenault. So my guess is I probably flip flop them in terms of my overall wide receiver rankings. Uh, but we're not talking massive jumps here. This is this is what we kind of talked about, like breaking ties, like where a bunch of guys were grouped together using another piece of data to kind of help us sort through those, those tiers. Well, yeah, that's right. We had groupings. We had general groupings. Exactly. So guys, hopefully you enjoyed this. Uh, Please reach out on Twitter. Talk to us. We love this time of the year. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. (laughs) 